0: So, last week, you guys had a math teacher, right? Isn't that what you teach? Daniel, D. Millens, math? Okay. So, you guys had a math teacher, so you got an equation out of the deal, and he, he did A times B equals zero the first time, and then he changed B in the equation, and I think it equaled eight on its side. So, today, you guys have an admissions representative, and so what I will bring to the table is not a math equation or a word problem. It will be trying to get you to see what I want you to see in a positive way. So, um, this morning, we are going to look at the Israelites' covenant and their subsequent failure, ourselves and our failures to keep our covenants, and then to Jesus and the New Covenant to ultimately see the freedom we have in Christ. So, we are going to read Nehemiah 10, and the first 30 verses have a whole lot of names. So, fortunately, I'm the guy on all visit days that gets to announce names, and I always give this speech. So, this goes out to, to all my friends here, Zedekiah and whatnot. If I butcher any of their names, you guys are free to call me Scene. Other than that, it's Sean. All right. So, Nehemiah 10, if you are using one of the Bibles under your, your chair, it is page 406. So, on the seals of the names of Nehemiah the governor, the son of Hakaliah, Zedekiah, Sariah, Azariah, Jeremiah, Pasher, Amariah, Malchijah, Hattush, Shebaniah, Meluk, Harim, Merimoth, Obadiah, Daniel, Ginnathoth, Baruch, Meshulam, Abijah, Mejamin, Maziah, Bilgai, Shemaiah. These are the priests and the Levites, Jeshua, the son of Azaniah, Binuai, of the sons of Henadad, Cadmiel, and their brothers, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Kalita, Peliah, Hanan, Micah, Rahab. Heshabiah, Zachar, Sherebiah, Shabaniah, Hodiah, Bani, Beninu, the chiefs of the people Perash, Barath Moab, Elam, Zetu, Bani, Buni, Asgad, Bebi, Adonijah, Bigviah, Adin, Ater, Hezekiah, Azur, Hodiah, Heshum, Beziah, Hariah, Anathoth, Nebaya, Magpiash, Meshulam, Hezir, Meshabezel, Zadok, Jedua, Pilaitiah, Hanan, Ananiah, Hoshia, Hananiah, Heshub, Holy Hesh, Shobek, Rehum, Heshbana, Messiah, Ahiah, Hanan, Anan, Maluk, Harim bana. All right, now we're going to get into the the text, people. All right. So the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the governors, the singers, the temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the people of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take the daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt we will take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our god for the showbread the regular grain offering the regular burnt offering the sabbaths the new moons the appointed feasts the holy things and the sin offerings to make atonement for israel and for all the work of the house of our god we the priests the levites and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring into the house of our God according to our fathers' houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our, of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. And the priests, the sons of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the Lord of Israel, the sons of Levi, shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. So, to catch us up to speed, we have now read the covenant that they made. But let's take, let's, let's go back as, as any good show that takes you around, you know, they do the recap to say previously on Nehemiah. So, to catch us up, Nehemiah gets his report on the state of Jerusalem. He mourns over it for a month, and then, he, you know, he's mourning, he's praying, then his sorrow is revealed to King Artaxerxes, who says, hey buddy, what's wrong? You're not sick. So he tells him, Kings Artaxerxes sends him on his way with letters to allow him to pass with ease. Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite discover his plan and are displeased that someone would seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Then Nehemiah shows up to to Jerusalem, rallies the people to get to work. So everyone gets to work. So Sanballat and Tobiah, the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, hear of the work being done and are very upset so they plan to stop it by sneaking up on the people and killing them. Uh, the people find out and make preparations. God reminds them that he will protect them, and so everyone has to work with a weapon ready to go at all times, and then they take shifts on who's going to stand guard. As a result of, of, of this, they they are pretty much exclusively working on the, the wall and uh, So people aren't working. There's a bad harvest, and things get awful. And people sell everything they have, their land, their tools, including but not limited to their kids, um, as Matt captured for us really well a few weeks ago. So Nehemiah gets this corrected. Then we've got a few more plots from Sanballat and Tobiah. Then 52 days later, the temple is built—or not the temple. The wall is built, which is amazing. Uh, Nehemiah calls the people together to read the genealogy of those who have returned to Israel. Ezra reads the law. They realize that it's time for the Feast of Booths, so they celebrate. Uh, The people then mourn and confess their sins, which Daniel talked about last week, and they go through their history and examine what God has done on their behalf. So then as a result, they make this covenant. So they, you know, this was kind of their declaration of independence-ish, except they decided to put their names right on the top. And I thank them for it. So... So here's, here's what they come up with. I've, I've got a slide. Next one. Thank you, Dan. So they, here's their commitment. We will walk in God's law, and I've summarized, by, by not letting our daughters and sons marry the people of the land, by not doing any commerce on the Sabbath or any holy day, by letting the land rest every seventh year, by giving yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of God, by casting lots Decide, I meant to decide, who will bring forth the wood offering from year to year um, at appointed times. And then by dedicating to the Lord the first fruits of everything, produce from the ground, fruit from the trees, flocks, herds, dough, and then of course their firstborn are dedicated to the Lord. And then by not neglecting the house of our God. So my question, after looking at these things, is what does that mean to any of us? Because really, most of that doesn't necessarily apply. The most that that we have going for us is we do not want our kids to marry non-Christians, but it's not because we're afraid that they're, well, there are concerns around this, but we're not necessarily afraid they're going to then worship Baal with their new spouses, and then God is going to destroy us as a result. Like, we've got a lot of different concerns around that. You know, holy days and sabbaths, we don't necessarily have too many holy days, depending on where you stand on that. And then the sabbath, I'm sure some of you guys did work some yesterday, so I think that one becomes a bit nebulous. I think we're totally for giving God our best, our first fruits. That is something that we can definitely hold to and agree with Him on. And then, as far as honoring the house of God, we don't have a building, so I think that we don't need to worry too much in the sense of honoring the temple. So, I want to take a look at us and our response when we read this, um, because. I will be completely candid with you and say that my initial response when I read this is knowing full well that they are not going to follow through. I know that they are totally going to drop the ball, and when, next week we find out all the ways they dropped the ball, and it is very easy to look at them and to assess what they have done and be like, they made this covenant, and they broke this covenant. And on this side of history, I can say, I don't think I'd do that. Where are these guys... I would definitely have stuck to my guns. So I think that what ends up happening is we, I take personally, and I think in general, we'll, we take a bit of superiority over them. And then a little bit of cynicism and in our belief that we would have kept the covenant agreement. The thing is, I was not at, you know, a good portion of us are married. I was not at most of your weddings. Um, and so I cannot say that you have or have not kept your covenant agreements there um, but I decided, uh, I had asked Richard, and I got their wedding video. And so we're going to watch that, and we're going to assess if we think they kept their covenants or not. I'm kidding. Wouldn't that be awful? Because I didn't tell him anything about that. <laughs> I laughed really hard when I thought about that. All right. Uh, so, all right. So let's, But let's take a second and compare our ability to keep our covenant against a bunch of folks who uh, suffered persecution— received death threats, did intense physical labor, had sleepless nights, sold everything they had, including their children, had no immediate access to the Bible in optional translations, no direct access to God in prayer, and no Holy Spirit alongside them. That is the people we are saying, I think we can keep a covenant better than they can. So I will go with a covenant that a good portion of us have, have shared, and that would be the membership covenant. So. I put it up here, but it turns out you guys will not be able to read like any of it. It's, it's really small. I apologize. So I'm just going to tell you, uh, I'm going to give you a few, a few of the highlights, and we're, we're going to see how, how we stack up. Because their statement was, we are going to love the law of the Lord by doing these things. We, had, we have four things in our membership covenant that we talk about. How we are going to love God, uh, love others— love the people of God, and help people to love God. So I'm just going to take a few of the highlights. Um, in, in, In our first one, we will love God, the one that stands out to me, by always rejoicing, always praying, and always giving thanks. Then the next one, I will love people, the one that stands out to me, by showing perfect courtesy to all people, speaking well both to and about them. That one cuts me deep. The next one, I will love God's people by overlooking offenses and forgiving, as I have been forgiven. And then the next one, uh, I will love people. Uh, I will help people love God by praying for their salvation. I picked one from each, and I'll be honest, I have dropped the ball on every one of those. And so the reason I'm pointing this out is so that we see that we're not better than the Israelites. That I think we often read about what's happened to them and the response is though we could have done it better, uh, but they were far more dedicated than we are. I sometimes feel tired doing, having three Sundays out of a month where I do something to get ready for church. Uh, I feel tired getting up early to come and set up, and then sometimes frustrated about setting up and you know trying to side the chairs. You know, we we played around with it a little bit recently. Nobody commented, um, but. Like, we, we look at that, like, we look at what, what they went through, and then we compare it to ourselves, and we see that we, we don't necessarily stack up. So what do, we, what do we have going for us? And I think what we have going for us is that now we are in a, a new covenant. They made a covenant previously, but our covenant that we made is within the new covenant that Christ made. In Matthew 26, 26 through 29, uh, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper and he says of the wine this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins we celebrate that every week we take time to remember that we are no longer objects of god's wrath but because of what christ did and his complete work on our behalf we are completely forgiven and so when we when we take that later we should take time to to be humbled and thankful for that thankful that we we won't always keep our covenants but because of what Christ did, we are, not, we are forgiven for our inabilities, and we are enabled to keep our covenants. So uh, one, of my, one of my big points is that the, the covenant of the law of Moses, uh, made with Israel and broken over and over and over again due to Israel's sin, has been replaced with a new covenant. It has provided complete atonement for all the sins of God's people, past, present, and future. Um, Dan in, in our small group has made the analogy, and he probably got this from somebody, so I can't trail it all the way back. So I'm just taking it right to Dan. It's Dan. He came up with this it's a great analogy. Um, in that we, in our justification, it is our standing before God. Much like yesterday, we had graduation, and everybody who graduated, who accomplished their 126 plus credit hours, and met all of the requirements got that whole checklist taken care of, who was announced as having graduated, officially graduated. Now their stance is they are a graduate. They have received said education, and we, you can't really go back and, and take that from them. In the same sense that because of Christ's completed work on our behalf, because he took our punishment, we are seen as justified before God, and that doesn't go away. We can now no longer be not justified. We are completely justified in the new covenant. So Paul summarizes how I believe we should respond to, to all this really well in Titus uh, 3, 3 through 8. So I'm going to jump there real quick. It says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves for good works. And then later Paul tells us, well, earlier in the New Testament, uh, Paul tells us in Galatians 6 not to assess each other's works, but our own. He says that we aren't to look at how other people are doing, but we're to to assess ourselves and see where we stand. Um, We might read about the Israelites or know of others and what they're doing and be so focused on how we would have succeeded had we been them that we fail to make the changes that we need to make for ourselves. Then in Ephesians 2, it tells us that we have be- been created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared in advance for us. So because, because of all of this, we are now free to look to Christ instead of ourselves when we don't keep our, our covenant promises, when we fail, when we sin. We don't have to live in, in shame or guilt because Christ has taken both of those on himself for us. In Christ, we have freedom. And when we realize that, um, and when we realize that we have failed to love God's people by overlooking offenses, which is something that we agreed to do, and it's in Scripture, and so it's something that we need to do, we are, <laughs> we are forgiven of that. We don't, we don't need to just wallow in our guilt because Christ has taken that from us. We don't need to feel shame and try to shift blame because people are not always so lovable in reality. We can sit here and talk about how best to go about loving people, but then as soon as you work with somebody who's annoying, it gets really tough. So we can freely confess that we have failed to love God's people, and we've misplaced our worship. And I say that we've misplaced our worship because if our reasoning for not overlooking offenses is because uh, that someone else, what their offense to us is so great, we must have forgotten what we've been forgiven of. Uh, we must not realize where we stand. So, I say all that to say, like, our dear friend Gary Chapman has given us a a solid read in the book, The Five Love Languages. I think we're all familiar. Um, But I think that we often misuse said five love languages because what we want to do is not seek to figure out how best to love the people around us, our spouses, whatever. We want to decide how we're to be loved. And then we want other people to then comply to that. And when they don't, we respond with, well, I, I didn't do that because uh, I, I haven't been showing you love because really you haven't been showing me love. I'm all about gifts, and um, my birthday was last year, people. Like, um, me personally, I, I am... I, Crystal has endured five years of... An, not being able to encourage me while, saying, while me saying that my love language is encouragement, but it must be at a specific time, in a specific way. It has to be second Tuesday after I've done something important. It can't be right afterwards, and it can't be the phrase, you did good, because you did good means you did bad, but I just don't want to tell you. And so, it only took till about uh, last year before I came to the conclusion, I'm an idiot. So, I, I use that to say, I think in a lot of cases, we, we want to say, I'm not going to, to behave towards you in love. I'm going to be annoyed by you. I'm going to be impatient with you because you have failed me in this way. But this you, this crystal, is, is not the source of my love or my patience for anybody. The source of my love and my patience is, is Christ and what he's done, he is my God. Crystal is not my God. So when it turns out I feel that my, my needs, whatever they are, are not met by the people around me, it's okay, because ultimately Christ has met my needs. So I don't need to, to be like, you really dropped the ball on that one. I really needed a pat on the back. Nobody? Where were you? That, that's not the case. I don't need that, that reassurance and that, that acceptance. It's nice. I'm not going to die. But ultimately, because what Christ did on our behalf... We are now accepted by God. I think that's wonderful. And so, um, with that, I think that in a lot of cases that that we are impatient with folks because people can be super annoying. Any of us parents, I'm I'm going to say, our kids are super cute and super annoying. Our newest guy just. Just wants to wake up willy-nilly whenever he wants to what's the deal and so i'm like because because levi the nine-month-old is insufficiently showing me love and patience i don't have to show it back i think i missed something Um, and so i say that to you guys and i say that a lot to myself Uh, god has called us to do good works that he has prepared for us in advance And so now we're free to do those good works. We are free to be patient with people. We're free to love people um, and not have that rely on themselves. He's not abandoned us to it. We have been given the Holy Spirit. We've been given the Bible. We have been given the church. And so we also get reminders. Like we now get the opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And in that, in taking the cup. We remember what Jesus said in that we are now partakers in the new covenant. That we are going to celebrate Christ's finished work on our behalf. And so I think it's important to take time to consider that we have failed to keep our covenants. That we have sinned against God and against other people. And we can confess that openly to God because we are forgiven of that. Christ has taken that punishment. I think we need to be... Uh, I think it's, off, it's important to be blunt and honest with God and say, I have completely failed you in this light. I have not loved other people. I have not held you in the esteem that I, I ought to because I looked to other people and to myself. And so then we can trust that Jesus has provided our forgiveness and that we don't need to, to grovel in our shame and guilt, but we can trust in Christ's finished work on our behalf. And then when we're done taking the White Supper, Um, we can spend a little time in worship and thank God and remember all that he has done for us.